Leviticus 26, 46, when you got it, say so. It says, these are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And just look over to chapter 27 and verse 34. And again, it's repetitious. These are the commandments which the Lord God Moses, which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. We're coming to the end of Leviticus, and we want to be reminded that these our covenant words that God made with his children. Lord, thank you for your word that is true, that is living, that is active. Thank you for your word that illuminates, that changes and transforms our hearts. God, would you be glorified in the next few moments as we are in your word? May we hear from you. May we be changed by your glory, for your glory, and for your honor and namesake. Lord, give us ears to hear. Remove distractions from our minds. Remove stubbornness from our hearts. Open our ears to your voice. And let us not just be hearers, but let us be doers of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline so that way you can follow along in the introduction of the sermon. So just keep your hand up and they will give that to you. I want you to be able to take some notes as well and uh, not just take notes, but we want, we want to be sure that hopefully you are taking these notes home and you are engaging with them, thinking about them, uh, meditating on them, praying over them, asking God, God, what is it that you would have for me to do? How, 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 how do you want me to live out this week? How do you want us to engage well, with you? And, and how do you want us to be more like you? Because that's what should be happening, right? We should, be coming, we should be becoming more like Jesus. And so if you open your outlines and you look with me in the introduction there, one of the most encouraging and at the same time terrifying attributes of God is that he is faithful. I don't know if you understand what, I, what, I, what I'm saying, but it is encouraging that we sing about the faithfulness of God, is it not? Because as we sang, and we'll sing again, right, he is, he does not fail. He will not fail. He doesn't fail. He can't. He's God, and so he won't. And so that is an encouraging truth that no matter what we face, no matter what winds blow, no matter what trials come our way, no matter what lies come toward us, no matter what, he will not fail because he is faithful. But as as encouraging as that is, that is also terrifying. Because the same way that he promises good and he will accomplish good, he also promises uh, a judgment if we are not obedient. He also promises, he, he cannot change, right? When we are faithless, he is faithful, is what Paul said. Those words are not just encouraging words, those are terrifying words. Because we know that you can't, you can't fake God out. You can, you can hide from everyone else in this room. You can hide from the people you live with, kind of, hallelujah. 
You can, you can hide from everyone else, but you cannot hide from the almighty God. And so God is a covenant maker, which is what we have seen in Leviticus. Those are the verses that we read. And a covenant keeper, what God says he means, what he promises he fulfills. And here's the thing. God expects his people of every generation to be faithful to him. Let me say that again. God expects his people of every generation to be faithful to him. Again, the reason why we're looking at the book of Leviticus and we walk through this over the last seven messages in Leviticus is to remind us that God is holy and he expects us, his people, to be holy. Now, to be sure, not every single command in the book of Leviticus is for us today, but the, the echoing command that is for us today is that we be holy as he is holy. That's what he's called us to as image bearers. He's called us to bear his image in holiness. He wants us to be like him, not just in words. He wants us to be faithful, but in obedience. Now, here's the thing. When we obey, keeping our side of the covenant, he reciprocates with blessing. When we ignore his requirements and rebel against his commands, God responds in judgment. Ultimately, ultimately. We position ourselves for good or for evil. We position ourselves for good or for evil. It's up to us. Can't blame God for those. No, no, no. It's, it's up to us. So my question for you today in the title of the sermon, what's your position? What's your position? Where, where have you positioned? How have you positioned yourself? Have you positioned yourself for God's good? Or have you positioned yourself for evil? Have you positioned yourself for God's blessing? Or have you positioned yourself for God's judgment? We have to answer that question. And, and, and I want you to know it's important for children of God. If you're a child of God, it's important for you to answer that question. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you need to answer that question as well. Have you positioned yourself for good or have you positioned yourself for evil? What I want you to think about this morning, and again, I want to be repetitious on this, obedience positions us for God's blessings, disobedience positions us for God's judgment. That's what I want you to think about today. Obedience positions us for God's blessing. What's your position? Disobedience positions us for God's judgment. What is your Position. That's it. It's important for us to consider those things. The first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say obedience, obedience. positions God's people, position God's people. To, experience to experience all that is good from God. Obedience positions God's people to experience all, not some, all, all that is good from God. And so what do we want to do? I don't know about you. I want to be in a position for good. Amen. I want to be in a position for God's blessings in my life. And, and don't worry about it. I know some of y'all are getting nervous. Your prosperity radars are going off. It ain't going to come down like that. <laughs> but, I, but, but I do want you to know that God does want his children to walk in the blessings of obedience. This is factual. God wants to reward. God wants to bless. God wants us to experience what he has promised us in his word. And so adherence to God's will, that's his statutes, his commands, is the if. If is a big word, don't you think? You remove if and it changes stuff. Because God communicates with the children of Israel. Verse 3, just look at verse 3 real quick. We're going to go back and look at verses 1 and 2. But verse 3 says, if you walk in my statutes... And then look at verse 18. He says this, and after all this, if you do not, if, 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 it's a big word. 
It's a big word. It changes. It changes that. It may, you you got to think about this. So if you adhere to God's word, if you adhere, that is the if that connects you to the then, right? What does he say? He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and obey them uh, and, and perform them, verse 4, then I will. Hallelujah. I love that, right? I want to get to the then I will. Good stuff, not bad stuff. Because there's bad stuff as well. Then I will as well. Then I will. Look at verse 18. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish. That's the New King James Version. I don't know what version you have. I, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't want to deal with verse 18 in my life. <laughs> I, I want to stay in verse 3. That's where you should want to stay. And so we want to hear what God has to say. So why should we obey God? Why, why should Israel, again, in context, why should, why should Israel obey God? The first thing that is, I'm going to give you four reasons why they should obey. God breaks them down here in this chapter, verse 1. It says, you shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. The first reason that God gives them that they should obey him is because of who he is. Because of who he is. He is God. And let me, let, let me just say this because this is very important. You will not walk in obedience to a God of your own making. Oh, you, we will not walk in obedience to a God of our own making. When we bring God down to our standards, our thoughts, when we lower him to what we think he should be, when we, when we reduce his commands to what feel good to us, when we say, you know what, the culture says this. And we ignore what God says, we have a problem. We have an issue because what we have done is we have said, you know what, God, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm really the one that calls the shots. And so I can adhere to your commands when they fit me, when they feel good. When someone says, well, you know, that, that, that's good, you know, no, 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 no. The problem is we will not, and, and let me, and, and you got to understand this, one of our greatest struggles in our Americanized Christianity is an infiltration of a democratic mindset versus a kingdom mentality. I'm not, I'm not talking about Democrats and, and Republicans. You can get that out of your head. Hallelujah. We could have that conversation a different day, but here's the thing. What I am talking about is our mindset that we have in America, like we have choices on stuff. Like you, you vote for your officials, you vote for legislation, right? If, if you don't like certain legislation, you vote against it, right? Like you have a big say-so, you think. Anyway, anyway, that's another. <laughs> At least they make you think that way, right? Like you, like, like you have, you know, you, you, you always hear it, right, after, you know, when, you know, uh, elections have consequences, Right? <laughs> Because you vote, you made choices. Let me tell you something. You don't pick and choose what you're going to obey. There is a king. A theocracy is totally different from a democracy. And in and, and, and a democracy, you vote, you make this, you, you raise Cain. You know what you do in a theocracy? You bow and shut up. Oh, that sounds so harsh. No, 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 listen, I'm just telling you how it is. There is a king 
who is on a throne and you respect him, right? When you look at the book of Romans, we've gone through the book of Romans, and you see there when they confess that Jesus is Lord, it's not just about a prayer that they were saying. What they were doing is they were rising up against the king in authority, and they were saying, Caesar is not king, Jesus is king. What they were saying is, I am disaligning myself with the reign and the rule that is, that is under this kingdom, and I am letting you know that I am part of another kingdom. I am part of a theocracy run by the Almighty God. And here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is that when you bow yourself to the king of glory, when you humble yourself to the king, you become a great citizen within the world you live. Are you here? Because you are serving the one whose standards are higher than anybody else's standards. You are serving the one who has, who has a will and a purpose that is good for the world. See, the reason why I preach so much and, and I'll never stop doing this until God calls me home is because one thing that I know is that the words that are in this Bible are the best for the world we live in. In the same way that God communicated, and listen, you, I hope you were doing your homework. I hope you went through the book of Leviticus. This week's homework is only two chapters, 26 and 27. You can read them over again. I won't go through every word in them, but, 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 but the one thing that I hope that you understood in reading through Leviticus, and as I've gone through the sermon, is this, is that God was setting up a theocracy for Israel. He was going to be the king over Israel, and he was saying, listen, you came out of Egypt. They had certain practices. Those practices were no good. You are going into Canaan. They have certain practices. Those practices are no good. I have practices that I want you to live by because I want you to enjoy the blessings that I have for you in the land in which I'm going to send you. But if you don't obey, you're not going to have joy. Because if you do the things that the world is doing, and that's me bringing it into today's terms, if you're doing the things that the world is doing, if you're doing those things, guess what? You're going to experience judgment, not blessing. You're not going to experience the joy that God has. And I need you to know this. Those things have not changed at all. At all, they haven't changed. In any way, shape, or form, they are the same today and always. It is not until we humble ourselves before the God of the Bible. We look at the scriptures and understand that this is the one true God. It's not until we do that in reverence, in fear, in trembling, that we can receive his love and love him in obedience. Because we'll always excuse ourselves when we should be repenting. We'll always think we're okay when we should be humbling our heart before him. We'll always think that we're all right. Second reason why God gives them is because of what God did. Look at verse 2. He says, you shall keep my Sabbaths. You shall keep my Sabbaths, S, at the end. <laughs> not, just, not, not, not just one day, not just a Saturday that they worshiped and paused everything weekly. Yes, you're going to keep that Sabbath, but you're going to keep my Sabbaths, these different feasts that Israel had. We talked about those the other week, and, and, and we walked through them quickly. And again, I hope you went and did your homework and, and, and dug into that. And, and, and when I say homework, I hope you didn't just read it, right? Like you kind of dug in. You know, some of our Bibles have been equipped with these little numbers and letters next to certain verses. And you know what you can do? You can reference those verses and understand what God is trying to say there, what he means by certain stuff, why he's communicating this way. The Sabbaths are days of remembrance. That's what they are. They're days of reminder of what? Of God's work for his people. 
So real quickly, the Passover, that's one of their Sabbaths that they would gather together and worship. What does that symbolize to Israel? It symbolizes their deliverance from Egypt. What is that symbolic of for us? Our salvation. It was their salvation. And so the reason why they should obey God is because God saved them from the Egyptians. The Feast of Tabernacles, that was a, a time when, when, when they celebrated God's care for his people in the wilderness. What is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of God's protection and God's presence. We have the same thing that we can celebrate today. First fruits and Pentecost, these were other Sabbath feasts. And when they gathered together to worship in this time, it was them remembering God's blessing upon their labor in the fields. And so while you and I may not be farmers, we have been blessed in our labor. As a nation in general, we have been blessed in what we do. And because we are blessed, we should want to be a blessing, which will let me segue for a second. My mother, she shared something with me a couple of weeks ago. I just posted it in Realm. I encourage you to go there and look at that post and learn about something that her and her ministry is going to be doing to go out and they're going to serve the less fortunate in our communities because for whatever reason, they have not been able to experience the blessings of God, and yet we can be a blessing to them. And so there's items that are needed there. I encourage you to go and do that. But can I tell you something? That is a minority in our United States of America. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Raise your hand real high if you've ever been on a mission trip. Okay, so the rest of you have never experienced the beauty <laughs> of, uh, of, of the mission trip humbling you. You know, you're so, you're so used to just going in and just like you turn on water somewhere. It's like, hey, I'm going to take a shower. And if somebody took a shower before you and they use all the hot water, what's wrong with you? Getting mad at folks. Imagine if you had to go to a well and get your water to take a bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not poor in this nation. By comparison, no, we are not. First fruits, Pentecost, they remind us of God's blessing on our labor. Same thing for us. We are, we are reminded of God's provision. So we should worship God, number one, because of who he is, if you were taking notes. The second one is because of what he has done or what he did. The third one is because of where he dwells. The second part of verse 2, he says this, And reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. See, every other, every other nation, they had a sanctuary for their gods, right? They created space for their gods. But you know what they didn't have? They didn't have the dwelling of the one true God. Israel had the dwelling of the one true God. He gave them a tabernacle and a place, and he said, listen, I will come down in my glory. I will come down. He's going to dwell. The one true God was dwelling among them. You know what? For us, guess what? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The beauty of that thought is that how on earth does his glory and grandeur dwell in this? It's a mystery that we will never fully grasp. Why do we obey him? Because he says that he dwells among us. If we abide in him, he abides in us. If we obey him, he and the Father, this is what Jesus said, would come and make their home with us. The children of Israel, they had this same blessing, except it wasn't in them, it was in their camp presence of God dwelt there. And the last one is the one that you all were waiting for me to get to, verse 3, and then it goes all the way down to verse 13, is because of what God promises. Because of what God promises. 
Because of the things that he promises us. Israel was promised blessings based upon their obedience. God wanted them to enjoy the land, but to do so would mean they need to obey his covenant laws. Now, I want you to notice something. When you look at the blessings that God promises, right? Think about this for a moment. He spends like 10 verses telling them about all the good stuff that's going to happen to them if they obey. And then you know what he does? He spends a whole bunch more verses, like double the amount of verses, telling them what's going to happen if they disobey. You know why he does that? Because he loves us. Because he loved them. He warned them strongly and repeated and went over. If you, if you disobey, we're going get to get, get to disobedience in a moment. But he lets them know of all of these blessings. Now, listen to me. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to make some of y'all mad right now because you're going to be like, I want to claim all these promises. You are not Israel. I know some of my prosperity preachers and, you know, some of you guys might follow some of them and they get up there. You are the head and not the tail. You are. Okay. We are in a new covenant with God. These promises are specific to Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God is going to bless your labor? Yes, yes he is. If you happen to be a farmer, oh, yeah, he will bless you. He is going to bless you. He is going to give you success because he loves you. But it's not, listen, it's not because you wrote these scriptures down and you claim them every single morning and every time you gave your tithe and your offering, you put your hands on them and you go, that isn't it. Listen, I know you're going to be upset with me, and it's okay for you to be upset with me. We have a better covenant. That's what you should get excited about. Be mad at me because I said that. No, 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 these things are for Israel in particular, specifically in their context. Listen, you're not going to claim the curses, are you? You want the blessing. Oh, yeah, you want to be blessed. You want to be the head, not the tail. You want to be blessed in the city, in the field. You want to be blessed everywhere you go. Hallelujah. But when you disobey, you're going to embrace those curses? No, you're not. I'm just saying, if we're going to be new covenant believers, we have to understand that. Nonetheless, the principles are still true. Obedience, see, here's what what you forget, and, and we forget, is that there's a whole New Testament with a bunch of promises for us. I mean, you, 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 you just got to read the New Testament and say, okay, God, what do you command me? And what is the promise that is connected to those commands? And I'm going to stand firm upon those promises. That's, that, that's what we should be doing. If we, if we want to see God's blessing in our lives, then we need to say, okay, well, God says this about being a person, uh, being a good neighbor, right? Hallelujah. All of us want to be good neighbors. Amen. He says this about being a good, and so I'm going to do that. There's a, there's a, if, if, I, if I abide in his word, right, and, and, and I abide in obedience, then he says his love is going to be poured out on me. Okay, so I see those promises that are there. If I obey the, for, for children in the room, right, hallelujah, younger children, right, because some of us are grown children. We're all children, hallelujah. Amen. There's still that blessing that's connected to obeying parents, Amen. We're reminded of that in the New Testament, so we need to be obedient. Now, here's the thing as I wrap up this point here. God's people have the ability to determine the level of blessing they walk in. Did you hear that? 
Jesus, and I'll be preaching this, this parable after we come out of Easter, but when Jesus speaks of this parable of the sower, right, he says something pretty peculiar. He says that when this sower went out to sow seed, that there was four different grounds that they fell on, and then the fourth ground that the seed fell on, it says that there was like 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And the only way that I can compute that is to say, well, somebody was like a 30% obeyer. Hello. Another one was like 60%. Like, you know what, I'm going to obey like half, like, like a little bit more than half. You know, I feel like I'm better than the 30% are over there, right? I don't know. And then, you, and then you have the person who really surrenders their life. They really submit to God, and they really experience the fullness of what God has. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. To the degree that we obey, the, to the degree that we obey is to the degree that we will experience the abundant life God intends for us. I want to say that again for you. To the degree that we obey is to the degree that we will experience the abundant life God intends for us. And when I talk about abundant life, I want you to know again, I am not talking about money alone. Some of you, listen, some of you are going to be extremely wealthy and extremely blessed financially. And God wants to use you not just to go and throw money in the air, but hello. He wants to use you to be a blessing in great ways in the kingdom. But not every single person in the church is going to experience the same financial blessing as others. But here's the thing. Every single person in the church can experience abundant life. If we will obey him, if we will walk in obedience, we will experience the abundant life that Jesus promises us. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, disobedience, disobedience. positions us for severe consequences from the Lord. I think you already heard that kind of, but I want to just drive it home. Disobedience positions us for severe consequences from the Lord. Let me say this. God disciplines those he loves. Whenever we hear the word judgment, we automatically think negative all the time. And, and, and listen, it can be negative consequences, but it's from a place of love. It is from a place because he loves us, he disciplines us. It's like our kids, right? We can say, you know, I love my kids. <sighs> but if we love our children, we're not just going to let them be some crazy banshees. Hello. Oh, I love them so much, let them do whatever they want. No, that's for grandparents. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm kidding. Okay. I am kidding. <laughs> hallelujah. But grandparents do get a little, a little pass, right? They, 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 they did their time. Hallelujah, right? They did their time as parents. They, they laid the law down as parents. So they get, they get, they get a little pass. They're, they're able to go ahead and do a little spoiling that the parents won't necessarily do, right? Then you got to deal with the parents. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Why are you letting them eat that? We don't let them eat that. Why are you letting them stay up late like that? I know, I know. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Praise the Lord. I just love them more than you. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You be the bad guy. I'm going to be the grandparent, right? I got a long way to go there. But nonetheless, nonetheless, God disciplines those he loves. Bless you. 
perfect timing. Yes. And Israel, with Israel, it's no different. The reason, again, that the father sits down, he's like, yeah, I mean, I can just imagine God, right? Like he's going through this list of things that are going to happen. And, he, and, and he's, he's speaking to Moses. And if I'm Moses, I'm like, man, why, this, this list is longer than this other list. Like, what's up, God? God's like, look, I want you to get excited about the blessings that are coming your way. I want you to look forward to those things, but I want you to fear my judgment. I want you to be highly concerned about my judgment. I want you to, to know that the smackdown is coming if you disobey. But it's because I love you. I don't want you to experience any of this stuff. I want to I, I emphasize these things because I don't want you to experience this. So there are six periods or six types of judgment that are described in, these, in chapter 26. The last one is the most severe. Here's what happens. The first five, and again, you can read this on your own. I don't want to run through all of them. But the first five, God punishes the people in their own land. For the first five, he punishes them while they are in the promised land. The last one is different. The last one is when they're taken out of the land. That's a totally different thing. That's major judgment that is happening, that is occurring. Some of the chastisements, they're repeated from period to period, but they, came to be, but they can be summarized in this way. The first one is distress and terror. How do, how, how do you want to live? You want to live fearful all the time, looking over your shoulder all the time? Anybody like that feeling? No. You want to be able to sit down and have peace. You want to be able to sit down, and you want to just be able to enjoy life. And, and you know what he said? Oh, no, you're not going to enjoy. You're going to be in terror and distress. You're going to have disease that is going to be the result of your disobedience. You're going to have drought and famine. You are going to experience defeat before your enemies. There will be death because of war, animals, and plagues. And then that's all going to happen in the land. But, one, but, but when you don't respond to these judgments, guess what's coming? Destruction of the cities and the nation, and then disbursement and exile among the Gentiles. That's no fun. I don't want to be in verse 18. I, I don't want to experience the, the judgments of God. And if, you, and, and if you don't think, just turn with me really quickly, because you may think, right, that somehow these judgments have stopped, that God somehow changed. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 really quickly. You can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, hold your place there in, in Leviticus because we're going to go back to Leviticus. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, every week we read this passage together. And I don't, know, I don't know if you listen to these words, but I want you to hear them afresh as we're looking at this verse together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. And, and you know what, just, just, just because I want you to see the context there, I want you to go to verse 31. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Why? So he does not have to condemn us along with the world. Do you see those words? Every week we read them during communion. Because what? Communion is a serious moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you are not walking with him, you should not partake of communion because people, and we read this all the time as well, some of you are sick and some of you are asleep is what he says earlier on in that passage. What is he saying? He is saying God is still the same and he still brings judgment. This is facts. What does he do it for? He does it because he loves us. 
He does it because he does not want to. Hear me when I say this. Temporal judgments should deter us from disobedience, saving us from eternal judgments. Let me say that again. Temporal judgments should deter us from disobedience, saving us from eternal judgments. God doesn't, listen, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Are you here? He, he doesn't rejoice any more than a parent, unless you're an abusive parent, right? And like you get off on beating a child. But, but any other parent is usually, and no, don't, don't get it twisted. I, I'm, I'm a parent and I, and I get upset, hallelujah. And I'm not crying at the moment, hello. I'm upset at the moment, glory to God. But afterwards, and I feel bad that I had to do that. God's the same way. He doesn't want us to experience anything. And let, 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 let me say this as well. The worst judgment from God is success in our disobedience. Listen, if you're sitting in this place or you're listening to us or you're hearing this message and you know you're living in disobedience to God, you're not obeying his commands, and your life looks blessed, oh, you better check yourself. Because if he has left you to yourself, if he has left you without the conviction of sin anymore, if you feel like you're okay living how you want to live, oh my goodness, judgment is waiting for you in a terrible way. Because when God says temporal judgments, just like he did to Israel, oh, yeah, you, you, okay, you're going to walk in terror and distress. That should turn you away from your disobedience. Oh, you're not feeling a terror and distress? Okay, you're going to experience disease and sickness. Okay, now sickness comes. Wait a second. You're not repenting. You're not Well, drought and famine are going to come. Wait, you're not turning from that? And then he goes on. Defeat from your, you're going to see yourself losing in battle. That doesn't turn you. You're going to see death coming from war, from animals, from play. Those things don't turn you. Oh, man, I got to kick you out of the promised land. This is, what, this is what God does. And so, listen, I beg you, I beg you if, you, if you, if you are living in perpetual sin and your life looks good, turn. Turn from that. Don't play with God. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Repeat this after me. The mercy and grace of God can always reposition us. Ah, uh, hallelujah. The mercy and grace of God. <laughs> Glory to God. It can always reposition us. No matter what your position is, when you walked in here, when you started to hear this message, the mercy and the grace of God can always reposition us. I want you to look at these verses because I want you to see grace in the Old Testament. I want you to see that grace isn't a New Testament thing. Grace, God has not changed. He has always been the same. Verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, 
with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their souls abhorred my statutes. Yet for all all that, when they are in the land of the enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God." But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. See, the beauty of the God that we serve is that he doesn't want to leave us under judgment. He doesn't want to leave us in the consequences of our sins. He doesn't want to leave us in that place. He wants to forgive. He wants to extend mercy. He wants us to walk in the fullness of his blessing. The question is, will you humble your heart before him? The question is, will you own your guilt the question is, will you accept, will you, rec- will, will you realize and recognize, man, I have been disobedient. I have made myself an enemy of God. See, those are the questions that we have. See, we saw the blessings and the curses that followed obedience and disobedience to the covenant. We saw the sting of the curse. And what happens? God declares his grace. I love it. He declares his grace to them. The Lord affirmed that even though his people would sin and suffer exile, repentance was possible. Hmm. No matter your present position, hear me, no matter your present position, there is always hope if there's breath in your lungs. Hmm. You need to encourage your neighbor because they didn't get excited about that enough. You need to look at them and say, hey, are you breathing? Come on, tell them, tell them, are you breathing? Are you breathing? Are you breathing? Then there's hope, glory to God. If you are breathing, there is hope. Now, if you ain't breathing, somebody call 911. (laughs) But if you are breathing, there is hope. If you will turn, if you will humble yourself, the fact is what we talked about earlier, that God is a, he's a God who keeps his covenant, whether in blessing, whether in judgment, or whether in forgiveness. Hallelujah. I love that. Our God is faithful and he is merciful. He doesn't, listen to me now, he doesn't choose our position for us. He allows us to choose for ourselves, but he makes the terms clear. He doesn't choose for us. He didn't say, you know what? I chose you to be disobedient. I choose you to be obedient. That isn't what he does. I'm sorry. That that isn't what he does. He says, hey, you choose this day. You choose this day. Will you serve the God of the Bible or will you serve the God that you have made? Will you serve the God of the scriptures or will you serve this Americanized God that, that he has nothing to do with the God of the scriptures? Will you serve this God that is holy? So that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. So let's be clear because I want you to know this. 
The sacrifice of Jesus changes everything. He suffered for our sins so he wouldn't have to. Did you hear me? He suffered for our sins so we wouldn't have to. Now, that doesn't mean we won't experience consequences for our sins. That does. He'll walk you through those consequences. He will walk with you. He will pick you up in the middle of those consequences. And he'll say, my son, my daughter, I love you, but you sowed this. You got to reap it. And sometimes, in some cases, he, he intercepts that. But, you know, my dad said something, man, you can't pray for crop failure. You can pray for it all day long, but look, you sowed it. See, we, we, we have to understand the grace of God is there to walk us through these situations, these circumstances. He absorbed our sin penalty so that we could inherit the blessing of eternal life. Hallelujah. That's what he did for us. We are not under, and I said this earlier, but we are not under the old covenant, so we can't claim all of these promises that we see in chapter 26 here. However, we have better promises. Sister Marisol said it when she was exhorting us during worship. We don't have to bring bulls and goats and lambs and birds. and all. We don't have to do any of that stuff to come into the presence of God. You know why? Because he tore the veil. Because Jesus was the once and for all final sacrifice that was made so we could access the Father, so we could engage with God and not fear death when we come into his presence. Doesn't mean we shouldn't fear him. It doesn't mean we shouldn't stand in trembling. And listen, I have no issue saying the word fear because the problem with us is that we minimize the word fear by, well, we have to revere God. We have to have, I agree we have to have reverence for God, but we need to fear him. We need to understand that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is true. And, and, and when we understand that, we can embrace the power of the cross in such a greater way. We can embrace the sacrifice that Jesus made in such a greater way. And so my closing question is this, what is your position? Or where are you standing? What is your position? Or where is it that you are standing? Are you standing in that place of God's blessing? Or are you standing in that place of disobedience where you're going to do your thing your way? You're going to serve God on your terms. Where are you standing? I want to bring you to one passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7 is a familiar passage of Scripture, but I want to close our time in the book of Leviticus with this Scripture because we need to be reminded of these powerful words that Jesus communicated to us. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus just finished preaching the, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's closing his sermon, he, he wraps up with these words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. When you got it, say so. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone, see, that's the person, the first one. <laughs> Bless you as well, hallelujah. <laughs> see, the, the first person is the one who says, I want to be that chapter, that, that verse 13 person. I want to hear what God says. I want to obey what God says. I want to live what God commands. 
But then this next part here, he says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When we hear God's word and we walk away from the preaching of his word or the reading of his word, we have to ask ourselves a question. Am I doing what God has said to do? Am I obeying what God has called me to obey? Am I being the image bearer that God wants? Am I responding to being holy as God is holy or am I doing what I want to do? Am I picking and choosing what I want to obey? Here's the thing. We cannot pick and choose what we want to obey. We can do that, but we're, never, we're going to experience God's judgments rather than the fullness of what he has for us. And so, again, my closing question is, what is your position and where are you standing? Are you standing on the rock or are you standing on the sand? Are you standing in a place of assurance? Are you standing in a place where you know? Man, I know where I stand. Is that you or are you like, man, I know where I stand. I can't lie about where I, where, where, where I stand. Again, as we close Leviticus, I want us to think about that.